Welcome to your New Mexico government. I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. Today, we look into religion and faith in the time of coronavirus, how people are using their faith to adapt, how are faith leaders assisting their members during this time, how can people commune and acknowledge holy days in a time of social distancing orders. Keeping the faith during COVID-19 is our topic for the day. First up, executive producer Marisa DeMarco has a news rundown of what we know today, Tuesday, April 14th, as of 5 p.m. The number of people worldwide who've been confirmed to have the coronavirus is nearing the 2 million mark, and there have been more than 125,000 deaths. About half a million people have recovered. President Trump says the World Health Organization has bungled the crisis by failing to support travel restrictions from China, and that he plans to stop U.S. funding for the organizations multiple news agencies are reporting. People and businesses around the U.S. are eager for the country to reopen, the Washington Post reports, but it's unclear whether people who've recovered are fully immune. 80 million more people around the U.S. should see those $1,200 stimulus checks in their accounts this week. Early reports show people are mostly spending that money on food. In New Mexico, five more people have died, according to state officials, and the death toll stands today at 36. In total, 1,407 people have been confirmed to have contracted the virus, and 340 people have recovered. The state released more data in a new portal, and it shows race and ethnicity. Of the state's total number of COVID cases, Native Americans account for almost 37 percent, despite making up only 11 percent of the population in New Mexico, according to the Albuquerque Journal. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham ordered prisons to begin letting some people out of prison ahead of schedule, but so far only 10 people have been released, the journal reports. The Public Defender's Office and other criminal justice organizations filed a petition saying many more people need to be released. For your New Mexico government, I'm Marisa DeMarco. Joining me now from the Archdiocese of Santa Fe is Archbishop John Wester. Archbishop Wester, thanks for being here. You're most welcome, Carl. It's an honor to be with you. Thank you. Now, last week, you directed parishioners to stay at home, making home the holy place in the time of COVID-19. I'm sure that was a very difficult decision, and people were discouraged from going on the pilgrimage to Chimayo. That had to have been very, very difficult. Can you explain to me how you came to make that choice? Yes, well, it was difficult, and I feel so bad that we all do for uh, all of us. I mean, we love to be together for these holy days and certainly these Pilgrimages are so much a part of our tradition and our life here in New Mexico, and so really difficult. But on the other hand, one way it wasn't difficult in that there was really no choice. We have to always put people's lives and well-being first. Grace builds on nature, and God works in many, many ways in our lives. And so even though we weren't able to gather like we wanted to or pilgrimage the way we wanted to, nonetheless, there are many other ways for us to really experience God's presence in our lives. And and so that's why we said home is the holy place. The Lord is with us in our homes. And speaking of that, there are other faith leaders who are attempting to defy the social distancing orders, which is creating a divide. What advice do you have for a greater understanding for the gravity of the situation to be fully understood by both sides? I think the best way is for both sides to realize that there's no need to create a divide there really isn't a divide. In other words, it's a false divide. It has nothing to do with the Constitution or religious liberty or separation of church and state. It has to do with viruses and how they do their thing. It's nature. It's just 
there are other ways of worshiping, other ways of praying, other ways of being together. This particular year, our bonds of unity are deepened by our isolating ourselves, by our staying at home. This year, the gift we give to one another is by removing ourselves from the public square and by sheltering in place. But nonetheless, we still have a presence with God and a presence with each other. Can you tell me how the clergy and your parishioners, how they're adapting? Well, I'm very proud of them, very grateful to them. Our clergy are giving so much of themselves, really bending over backwards to try to do all they can to reach out to people, to bring Christ's presence to people. We're making ourselves available, hearing confessions and giving the sacraments as best we can and live streaming the masses. It's important to realize, too, the live streaming is not just like watching TV. It's not like watching a rerun of My Three Sons or something. I guess I just dated myself. Let me think of something more recent. (laughs) Anyway, you know, the live streaming brings that mass, that Eucharist, into the living room. But then the people are praying in real time. So it's not just passively watching the TV set. It's triggering an opportunity to pray, to listen to the scriptures, to reflect on them, to pray as a family over them. There's a lot we can do during this time, and I think that's what's important to hold on to. God is much more powerful than we are. God is not limited by our limitations. God does not become vulnerable because we're vulnerable. God can get to us, and God does get to us, and God will get to us. And when we have these problems like today and coronavirus, then God will figure out another way. And we need to be responsive to that and flexible and adaptable. Unfortunately, we human beings are not not really good at change. We don't like change. And so that may be the grace of the moment to pray to God for the ability to adapt and to do what's best for the common good. I want to thank you very much for your advice and your words. He is Archbishop John Wester of the Archdiocese of Santa Fe. Thank you very much again for coming on to the show. You're most welcome, and all the best to you, and stay healthy. The state has been served a lawsuit by the Legacy Church saying that their First Amendment rights have been impeded on. I'm here with Pastor Daniel McCabe from Legacy Church. Pastor McCabe, thanks for being with me today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. I do appreciate that very much. Let's get to it. So what does the church want to get out of this lawsuit? Well, here's what we're we're not suing for, because people... You know, people commenting all over the place are a little confused. We're not suing for money. That's not what it's about. We are not suing to mass gather. We're not suing to bring our congregation back the way it was a month ago. What we are suing for is because of what the governor did Saturday evening, putting out a new order. And basically, we cannot bring more than five people into the campus, into the sanctuary, to even do our services to live stream. So we have filed suit so we can bring in the number of people that we need to conduct our services for the live stream. We're also suing so that every church in the state of New Mexico would have the same rights as the box stores, such as Home Depot has, and that they'd be able to use 20 percent of their capacity if they chose to do so. 20 hmm. percent capacity for worship or for assisting in the live streaming? For worship. So we wouldn't make that choice. We wouldn't choose to do that. If we did, we could probably put 600 people or so in our large auditorium at one of our campuses. But there are plenty of other churches in the state. We've been contacted by many of them that are thankful. So we're saying they should at least have the same right that a box store has to bring in 20 percent and fill up 20 percent of their facility if they want to and have service. I understand personally the need for people to want to gather, particularly when expressing their faith, particularly at a very important faith moment like Easter. If other 
religious faiths can adhere to the social distancing guidelines and aren't necessarily asking for the same exemption that box stores are getting. What makes organizations like Legacy and others, what makes them any different? I would think that, and I'm sure all sorts of different organizations, churches, other faiths can make their own decision. But we believe what the First Amendment says, that there shouldn't be laws made against religion. So if a box store is going to be allowed to have 20 percent, why wouldn't you allow a church to have 20 percent? If we are and we are adhering to social distancing rules and policies to do our live stream, then why not be allowed to have that number of people in in the room, in the auditorium, in the video room? You know, it's not like she it's not like the governor made this order a week before Easter. She literally made it on the eve of Easter. We had service that Saturday night that we always have just a few a few minutes after her order went down and had no idea. There was no contacting churches by the governor, letting us know this was coming down. No opportunity to change anything. I mean, this this order literally went out hours before or minutes even before our Saturday night, but hours before Easter service for churches across the state. I understand the timing of the order and how it disrupted your operations. But back to the comparison with box stores, box stores such as Home Depot, your services last, they aren't 15, 20 minutes, maybe a half hour. They're quite a long service. People are only in box stores for a short amount of time. They're there to get what they need and then they leave. I don't know. I was at Walmart earlier today. By the time I got the things that I needed, stood in line, checked out, I was there for 45 or 50 minutes and I didn't even get things for the entire week for my family. So our services are under an hour. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with you on that one. Okay. So what's the next step? For the court case, there's there's a hearing on Thursday. And so that's the next step in that situation. Our attorneys are handling that. And then we'll just kind of let that continue to play out its course how it needs to. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on to the show and expressing your views. And I hope that you and everybody in your congregation remain to be safe. Thank you. Yep, we're doing everything we can to keep people safe and to continue to help our community, feeding people and bringing food to people that are shut in to reservations across the state. So we're going to continue to help during this as well. Thanks for having me on. It's Passover, which is usually celebrated with family meals and gatherings. But stay-at-home orders changed how this is being observed this year, too. Our partner, New Mexico PBS, shared with us a conversation between Megan Kamrick and Sarah Leiter, the outreach coordinator with the Hello House at UNM, as she prepared for Seder last week. What are the key values for you that Passover embodies? So for me, it's really a family holiday. More than any other Jewish holiday in the year, this is the holiday when the family comes together. And traditionally, it's about retelling the biblical story of Exodus when the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt. And so Passover is all about coming together as a family and the older generations telling that story to the younger generations. So even more than the High Holy Days, this is definitely about families coming together to be together and share stories. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And what would you normally be doing this time of year preparing for Passover? So I am from Los Angeles. And so usually for Passover, I fly home to Los Angeles and my family is all spread out across the United States. And so they usually fly back for Passover as well. And this is the one time per year that really all of us fly back to be together. Cleaning my house, getting rid of food that's not kosher or appropriate for Passover, 
This year, I'm not doing any of that. I'm staying in New Mexico, and we're going to do the Passover Seder dinner via Zoom. I see that's called a Zader <laughs> online. Mm-hmm. The idea of a virtual Seder then on Zoom, it's totally new. So how do people know what the right thing to do is if they're doing it correctly? So I think really a lot of Judaism actually is about sort of figuring out how to adapt to the time and the circumstances. So we're going to figure it out as we go. For my own family, we went through the Haggadah, which is the guidebook for the Seder, and there are 15 steps. And so we sort of pre-assigned each step to different family members. And so we'll see how it goes. What about the specific foods you're supposed to have? Is that possible? It's possible for some foods. Um, There are a whole series of ritual foods that you're supposed to have, matzah being the most famous, uh, the unleavened bread. So some of that I was able to find in the grocery stores here in Albuquerque. Other foods I'm going to have to improvise. Instead of a bitter herb, I'm going to use either a lime or cocoa powder, both of which are, I think, bitter. So things like that, sort of substituting foods that are available for the traditional ritual foods that are not available. And I think that it's also, you know, as tough as it is not being physically together with family and friends right now, it really is going to help us think about what is really important to each of us. And so I think that is going to be a positive outcome. I want to thank you for coming and talking about this, taking time from this week. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again to Megan Camrick and our partner, New Mexico PBS, for sharing that interview with us. This is Your NM Government. I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. Every weekday, we're covering the way the virus and health measures are impacting people differently around the state. Stay tuned in weeknights at 7.30 p.m. And as always, we want to cover what is happening with you. Tell us about how you're adapting. Tell us about what you're struggling with. Or tell us something good. Funny, funny, funny is even better. Leave us a message and we could roll it into our shows next week. Call 505-218-7084 and share your story. Or email us, yournmgov at gmail.com. For a greater understanding of how different people of different faiths are really adjusting and adapting to COVID-19, I'm on the line with Brigadier General Michelle Lamontagne from the New Mexico Air National Guard. Thanks for joining me. Oh, no problem. Tell me, how long have you served in the Air National Guard? I have been in a total of close to, getting close to 28 years. I was active duty Air Force for over eight years and then transitioned over to the Guard and I've been with them ever since. Okay. How long have you been a Buddhist? I actually had to think about this. I started practicing around 2010. I was introduced in 2009, but didn't really start taking to the practice until about a year later. As you've grown, you've developed your practice. In what ways do you feel like the practice has most benefited you? I mean, I always felt like I was somewhat compassionate and empathetic towards others, but I think it's grown more so in the sense that, you know, a person had said this to me a long time ago because I was very frustrated with someone that I was working with. And and they said to me, you know, everyone's a Buddha. And I had to really think about that because what this practice is about is like everyone has that potential within them, not limited to only certain people. Everyone can achieve Buddhahood and has that within them. When I heard that, I started viewing people differently. And when I was frustrated with someone or maybe even angry with someone, I took a different approach than previously because I didn't view them as having that potential within them. I see. Now, as a practicing Buddhist, how has your faith helped you adapt to the coronavirus pandemic? I feel like it has given me a lot of hope. Our organization 
immediately when this happened, we even before the state started social distancing, we started doing it. But, you know, one of our concerns is not maintaining the practice and, you know, connection is a big part of it. So we started doing meetings and calls and every morning they have just a five minute touch base meeting where they give some kind of encouragement about how to move forward. And so that has really helped also. And it's helped me like be positive, to be optimistic, to have hope. One of the Buddhist sayings is winter always turns to spring. And so I say that to people when they're feeling down or they're feeling pessimistic about the state of things. I say winter always turns to spring to try to instill a little bit of hope in them. Yeah. Now, this is a very touchy subject, but how do you feel about other religious faiths and organizations pushing back against the social distancing orders? You know, everyone has their opinion. And and I read some stuff and I, I know how it initially made me feel when I read some of that, but I don't have the same perspective as them. I know that my perspective is that I feel like the most important thing is to be safe and that my perspective is there's other ways to achieve what you want to achieve in your practice without having to be in the same proximity. I don't follow those practices, and so I don't know why they feel there is a need to gather. And so that's why I don't necessarily have like a judgment towards them or opinion towards them. Yeah, it's growing to be a divisive thing where people don't understand the need for people who are in religious groups and faiths to get together, to commune for that connection. It is a big part of their practice. What do you feel is a positive action moving forward in terms of how religious groups operate and the fight against the pandemic? One of the things I like about my practice in particular is that we believe in religious tolerance. So whatever you practice is okay to practice as long as it makes you a better person and in turn helps you make other people better people in this world. I think as far as religious organizations and moving forward through this pandemic, I think it's really providing support, compassion, understanding, helping others who are struggling right now, you know, like this whole push back and forth about should people gather or not gather? I don't understand. So I think dialogue is important also. So maybe having discussions with individuals and finding out why it's important to them and coming to some solutions together. I think that's the direction we should move in. Yeah. Those are wise words. She is Brigadier General for the New Mexico Air National Guard and also a practicing Buddhist. Michelle LaMontagne, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, thank you. I'm on the line with Abbas Akil. He is the vice president of the Islamic Center of New Mexico and also a state representative out of Albuquerque. Abbas, thank you for being with me today. Thank you, Claudia. How are you feeling during this time? Thank you for asking. I mean, feeling good, uh, but of course it is a difficult time. We are hanging together as a community, and that's remarkably good. It's a dark time, but it's also a time to be optimistic. At the Islamic Center of New Mexico, what are you all doing there to kind of change how you operate with these stay-at-home orders? Yeah, so we had to take some very drastic steps. Well, I'll take a minute to describe why it was more necessary for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you know, in Islamic practice, we congregate for prayer on Friday. That's usually, it's always the afternoon prayer. The way the ritual goes of the prayer is we stand on the carpet, shoulder to shoulder, line up row after row, and then follow the leader in doing certain ritualistic actions, part of which requires us to sit on the carpet, 
bow down, touch our forehead to the ground. That to us became a highly vulnerable practice because that is how it would spread. In a church setting, you have pews, you can maintain social distance. Uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to touch too many surfaces, but here you have a situation where you're bowing down and touching the carpet with your forehead, and that's just opens up that much more vulnerability for spreading the infection. So we took some very drastic steps. I am an older member of the community, both figuratively and actually. Mm. I've been here for 45 or 47 years. We've never, ever had to shut our doors for the Islamic Center. Mm. As you know, the month of fasting, Ramadan, yes. is approaching very fast. Yes. It's pretty much the next week. We gather in the mosque, the Islamic center, and we break fast together, which is at sundown. And we have the evening meal together and then followed by the night prayer. It's pretty much followed by every Islamic center in the country and across, across the world. But it again provided a place where we could have more community spread. So we had to say, all right, there will no longer be a gathering every evening. Because in that gathering, it's not just the people who are well-off and affluent, but they're also the needy families from our community. And and nobody checks who's who. Everybody gets food. What we are trying to do now is address the needs of our needy families and devise some way of getting them a box meal. It takes a lot of coordination to get that It takes a lot of coordination. And it also exposes our community members, the volunteers who will do the work, Mm -hmm. to go out in the community again. Instead, what we are going to encourage, at least that's how we are defining the plan right now, is only one family member comes in the car, Mm -hmm. takes the number of boxes they need, and they leave. They don't get out of the car. We just hand them the box that's ready-made. And in extreme circumstances, if someone doesn't have transportation in that case, will yes. a box be brought to that family? Exactly. Are there any resources? Is there any way, is there anywhere, you know, some of our listeners should go potentially if they'd like to help? Certainly. They can visit our website. We are just updating it. It should be icnmabq.org. He is Abbas Akil, vice president of the Islamic Center of New Mexico, also a state representative out of Albuquerque. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for hosting us. Yes, sir. Faith-based organizations around the U.S. are trying to help meet needs in their communities during the pandemic. Here in New Mexico, the Quaker organization, American Friends Service Committee, started a farm-to-food bank to help local pantries, farmers, and people who are struggling to access food. KUNM's Nash Jones spoke with director Syra Namaste about how the project came about. In early March, when the pandemic first hit, I was talking to a farmer from Albuquerque. I asked him if it was affecting him, and he said it was. And then he told me something really sobering, that he hadn't made a sale in a single week, which I knew meant he had no income that week. And it just really struck me that small farms could go under, and we need to keep our small farms going. And that's part of the work we do at American Friends Service Committee is supporting small-scale organic agriculture. And so I got the idea to create Farm to Food Bank, whereby my organization would buy food from local farmers that we have relationships with and get that food where it's most needed. So I started with Roadrunner and working with Agriculture Network, which is a cooperative of farmers in the South Valley. And then it's expanded to include more farmers, and we're also including more food banks. We've added e 
East Central Ministries and the International District, the Acoma Senior Center, and it'll be food grown by Acoma Pueblo farmers. What are the needs locally that this project is hoping to fill? I received an email from Roadrunner Food Bank, and they shared that in the last two weeks, they spent double what they spent annually on their food purchases, which is a shocking number. That's just Roadrunner. The other food banks are facing similar, so that was one aspect. And then the farm side, this time of year is when farmers are purchasing a lot of the things they'll need to grow for the year, seeds and irrigation and soil amendments. And now they have new things they're buying, face masks, gloves, new packaging, a lot of their food can't be sold out in the open at farmer's market. It has to be packaged now, but they can't recoup their expenses until later in the year when the food is ready to be harvested and they can sell it. And if they don't know if the restaurants are going to be open, if the schools aren't buying fresh stuff, when they don't know what they're going to bring in, it's pretty hard to put money up front and take that risk right now to purchase those things. So with Farm to Food Bank, we immediately bought food from farmers that didn't have a market, so that food didn't rot. And we got it right away to the food bank. But in the long term, we're buying the farmers their supplies now. Each farmer is getting up to $500 worth of supplies. And then they're promising and they sign an agreement with us that between now and September, they will give back $500 worth of produce to the food banks. This campaign is organized by the American Friends Service Committee, which is a, a Quaker Religious Society of Friends organization. How would you say this work is rooted in Quaker faith and values? So the American Friends Service Committee started in 1917 with the idea of promoting peace with justice and as a way of putting Quaker faith into action. And Quakers have a belief in the humanity of all people. So this project of supporting people who are hungry, people who are not able to afford food, as as well as supporting small-scale, organic, regenerative, sustainable agriculture is a way of putting their faith into action. How do you think about the importance of faith and faith communities during a time of crisis? It can be a place of comfort. It can be a place of community, even if we're socially distant. And that's important for people when things are bad, when there's death, when there's loss, when there's suffering. People who come from a faith background turn to their faith to cope and to find comfort and to find community. Many people might not normally consider themselves religious or part of a church. Can they still get involved if they want to support the work you're doing? Definitely. Our organization was started by Quakers, but now it includes people of all faiths and no faiths. So yes, they're welcome to go to our website and they will find information about the program. We've had people give financial donations and donations of face masks to the farmers. And so there's different ways that people are trying to help out. Is there anything else that you would want to share with me that I haven't asked? One thing I didn't share with you is that it's been so meaningful for the farmers to know that their food is going to the food banks. As much as they love the restaurants that buy their food, some of those restaurants they can't afford to eat at. And those are great restaurants that support local and organic. But knowing their food is going to reach people who often don't have access to organic local food is so meaningful for them. It's been amazing to talk to farmers about this project. Saida Namaste, thanks so much for speaking with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Nash. Thanks so much to Nash and our team at KUNM for sharing this with us. Tune in tomorrow when we take a deep look into what essential workers go through to keep the grocery stores, takeout spots, gas stations, and other places open. They're all essential. They're just not paid like it. Tomorrow on YNMG. Tell us how your religion, faith, spiritual practice, or lack thereof is helping you out during this time. Call 505-218-7084 and share your story or email us at yournmgov at gmail.com. Resources, resources, resources. Find the full list of the resources we talk about on each episode and opportunities to donate or help online at bit.ly slash ynmghub. 
To go to the Islamic Center of New Mexico, go to icnm-abq.org. Click the donations box at the top of their page to give a helping hand. The Archdiocese of Santa Fe has an emergency fund. Go to archdiosf.org. On the right-hand side of the page, there's a box labeled Giving. Click that and you're ready to help. Get in on the Farm to Food Bank offered by the American Friends Service Committee. Head to afsc.org. And for more information on the Hillel House, head to unmhillel.org. That's unmhillel.org. Your New Mexico government is executive produced by Marisa DeMarco. It's produced by yours truly. News update by Marisa DeMarco. Many thanks to New Mexico PBS for the contributions, and thanks to Megan Camrick and Nash Jones for their great work. Big ups to Bryce Dix for putting in the editing work. Theme music is done by Pope Yes, Yes, Y'all. Hear us all week long on KUNM's airwaves at 7.30 p.m. Online, find this show on KUNM.org or subscribe through iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your New Mexico government is a collaboration between KUNM, New Mexico PBS, and the Santa Fe Reporter. Funding for our coverage is provided in part by the Thornburg Foundation and the New Mexico Local News Fund. For everyone here at your New Mexico government, I'm Khalil Colonna. Thanks for listening.